with us on this Lord's Day, and we pray that God's word would be a blessing to your spirit and that the fellowship in worship would be beneficial to you as well as you will recognize that we are all still one family. Although we may come from different backgrounds and we may live in different spots of geography, but we are still God's people in God's house, and we honor him especially for that today. Thank you, Ms. Parsons. Ms. Parsons is a scripture reader. She read that text. Yeah. So much so that I had to find out from her what version was that she read, and I had to go find my version. Isn't that something? She changed my version, yeah. Uh, one final thing. Uh, Kiara, you think, you think you can sing, don't you? You, you, you think you're bad, don't you? Hey, you, you can tell people think they can sing. They get all into that song, boy. Man. That's your song. That's, that's your song. You, yeah, you enter into another element when you're singing that song. That's your song. So bottom line is you can sing that. I can tell you that. You can sing that. Baby. You can sing that. Bless you. Thank you, though, for blessing us with that. I appreciate that. Well, again, uh, thank you, Sister Parsons, for reading for us that wonderful passage of Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verses 6 through 11. I'm not going to reread it again, but at your own leisure, take time to do so. Uh, and if you have it, particularly in the New International Version, as she has read, um, because it gives such a more applicable spin to what I think the author is attempting to say. So today's text, I've given the title, When the Dream Becomes a Reality. And I based it upon the uh, interjection of verses one through five into verses six through 11, as it is one, although two different sections of the pericope, yet they sort of intertwine because in one aspect, as we get throughout the Song of Solomon, there is the idea of the words conveying the poetic gesture that it is a, a poem, yet a dream on one hand, and then it shifts and becomes a reality on another hand, and then it shifts back to a dream again, and then it goes back to being a reality again. And so right now, we are back into the mode of, in verse 6 to 11, it becoming a reality of what was dreamed in verses 1 through 5. And so I call it when the dream becomes a reality. So I began, as I have in the past several weeks, with my R&B twist, uh, because I think uh, the old R&B of the 70s speaks such relevancy to the text to which I see it in the contemporary setting. So I go back to 1971, January 14th, when Norman Whitfield, the famed writer, uh, put together uh, not only this song, but several hits by utilizing the voice of one Fonsella voice, in the group that was known in that recording context known as Hitsville, USA, by the name of The Temptations. And in The Temptations, there was not only my cool boy David Ruffin, but there was Eddie Kendricks, who had the power of singing for us songs like My Girl and Get Ready and My Favorite, The Way You Do the Things You Do. Oh, baby. Anyway. Um, but this song, this song was fitting for Eddie Kendricks uh, because he had that voice that sort of, even at its beginning, as it begins out with the lead guitar, um, his voice comes in, so it just gives it such a sweet tone. And that is just my imagination. And some of you might remember that song. That was a sweet love ballad of the 70s that sort of uh, detailed for us an individual, a man who was having a dream about the woman that he, of course, wanted to be who was in his dream, or he wanted to be his woman. Let me make sure I clear that up. Now he wanted to be a woman, but he wanted a woman that he wanted to be his woman in the dream. I had to make sure I fixed that because I wanted to buy saying 
pastor said that Eddie Kendrick said that somebody wanted to be a woman in the dream. That's not what I said at all. Um, so he dreamed about this woman, and, and here are his lyrics. Here, here is what Norman Whitfield wrote that, that sort of gives us an insight into the dream of a man who was pushing for that dream to become a reality. Each day through my window, I watch her as she passes by. I say to myself, you're such a lucky guy. To have a girl like her is truly a dream come true. Out of all the fellows in the world, she belongs to me. But it was just my imagination running away with me. It was just my imagination running away with me. Soon we'll be married and raise a family, a cozy little home out in the country with two children, maybe three. Here's a line. I tell you, I visualize it all. This couldn't be a dream for too real it all seems, but it was just my imagination once again running away with me. Tell you it was just my imagination running away with me. And if you remember the song, there comes this moment in which Paul Williams just sings a single line when he says, every night on my knees I pray. And that's it. That's all we hear. Then it comes back to the chorus where they sing as a group again. And then they say, I, I plead, don't ever let another take her love for me or I would surely die. Her love is heavenly when her arms enfold me. I hear a tender raspy, but in reality, she doesn't even know me. Once again, just my imagination, once again, running away with me. Just my imagination running away with me. Then he says, no, I can't forget her because it's just my imagination once again. Notice in the reframe or the chorus, there's that constant repeating over again, it's just my imagination running away with me. But that's the heart of verses 6 through 11 in the Song of Solomon. It connects with verses 1 through 5, which was the dream, vision, imagination in verses 1 through 5 that becomes a reality in verses 6 through 11. It becomes a reality because the dream, the revelation, is given birth because the dreamer never lost the seed of potentiality. Now, I want to say a couple of things, make a few statements to you before I actually go to define or exposition in terms of verse 6 through 11. But listen to these few statements I want to tell you about the word potential. Because I think that's a critical term that takes place in the context of a dreamer who is laboring to see his or her dream come to a reality. His statement number one. All men are sent to the world with limitless potential, but seldom draw to their full extent. Now listen to that fully. All of us have limitless potential, but we rarely get a chance to draw upon its full extent. That suggests that we never really live even partially to the, to the potentiality that we have on the inside of us. And what a tragedy, because most never experience a significant fraction. Now listen to that closely. We never experience a fraction of what we could possibly become. Instead, we end up being contributors to the wealth of the, of the cemetery our dreams die with us and we end up depositing in the cemetery what should have been exposed to the world. And so what happens is our potential was not given to us to be deposited in a grave, but it was meant to be maximized in the short time to which we live. Now the argument might be what is potential? What do we mean by the term potential? So here's my second statement. Potential, by definition, 
is dormant ability, it is reserved power, it is untapped strength, it is unused success, it is hidden talents, and here's a clincher, it's capped capabilities. All you can be, but have not yet become, that's potential. All you can do, but have not yet done, that's potential. How far you can reach, but have not reached. What you can accomplish, but have not yet accomplished. Potential is the unexposed ability and latent power, therefore, it is not what you have done, but it is what you are able yet to do. Now remember, in verse 1 through 5, she's in a dream. So it's not yet, but the potential is housed there. Remember the story when you read it back in verse 1 through 5, she's looking for what she thought she had lost, her love, but it meant so much that she was willing to risk all to make verse 6 through 11 become a reality. Not what you have done, but what you are able yet to do. Statement number three. Potential demands that you never settle for what you have already accomplished. One of the greatest enemies of your potential, Mary, is success. You must never be satisfied with your last accomplishment because it's important that you never allow what you cannot do to interfere with what you can do. So potential, if you never noticed it, it doesn't have a retirement plan. But it constantly moves forward. And the greatest example I see of that is Betty White, the actress Betty White who just retired last year, 2017, not because she wanted to, but because her health told her she needed to. But at the age of 96, and you gotta understand, here's an American actress whose career has spanned a time span of about 70 years, which rarely happens. And yet, in the last five years of her life, potential would not let her take a back seat to anything. She had two major accomplishments. One, she was in a show entitled The Cleveland Show. But secondly, she had a five-year running comedy in her 90s. What I'm trying to get you to see is that potential never settles for what you did yesterday but it's always reaching for what you have yet to do. And at 96, Betty White is trying to tell us, I don't care how old you are, there's still potential for you to get something done if you can dream it and then work for it to become a reality. So let me help you understand, because it's in the text. You're going to see it. It's right here in the text. Let me help you understand what the potential principle means. So let's take a moment and let's examine nature. So let's just say I had in my hand a seed. And I said to you, what is in my hand? And you naturally would respond by saying, you have a seed in your hand, pastor. And I would say to you, by way of fact, you are correct. But by way of truth, you are incorrect. See, by fact, you are right. I do have a seed in my hand. But by way of truth, I have more than a seed. Because you have to understand, the truth is that I hold in my hand not just a seed, but a forest. Watch this, Mary. Watch this, Mary. Why? Because in every seed, there is a tree. And in every tree, there is the bearing of fruit or flowers, which will bring forth more seeds. 
which will bring forth more trees, which will bring forth more fruit, which will bring forth more flowers, which will bring forth more seeds. That repetition just keeps going over and over again. What you identified as a mere seed in my hand was not what you really were looking at. See, that's potential because uh, what could be is not yet exposed. If you are in the right in your right mind and you have still have all the activity of your limbs, recognize you are still full of potential. In other words, you can do more than you are doing at this moment. In fact, God made it clear when he created one person out of another, he gave both and said, here are seeds in you. Be blessed. Hebrew word simply means you have my approval to expand. Good God, that's, that's revelation right there. I got divine approval to expand. Be blessed. And then in Genesis 1.20, he says, be blessed, but be fruitful and multiply. And he said that not just to human creation in verse 28, but back up to verse 23, 24. He said that to all of creation, plant life, sea life, and the mammals that roam upon the earth. He told everybody and everything to be fruitful and multiply. Now, that's really all we are seeing in chapter 3 of the Song of Solomon. What it is is a life changing revelation that I just repackaged and called it vision slash dream that becomes a reality in verse 6 through 11. Now here are the principles I want to tell you in the story. First of all, what you see is not all that you are. I, I just hope that gets into someone's spirit this afternoon. What you see is not all that you are. Also remember, potential is always present, but it's waiting to be exposed. It's always present, but it's waiting to be exposed. Now, if you go back to chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, remember, the Shulamite woman needed to hear this because she was struggling with her dark skin and struggling perhaps with the kinkedness of her hair and struggling with her own self-perception and Solomon shows up and reassures her that what you see is not all that you are. In fact, there's more to you than this and he reinstitutes her psyche by beginning to say the things like you are beautiful which reiterates within her own mind to change her mindset. That's the glory of potential, that you can never settle for what you see, but always have the reaching aspiration to see more and to uncover and see that you can do more and be more because there's more house within you. Now, here's a story. I told her 8 o'clock, I'm going to tell you the same story. Here's a story that tells you what potential can do and how it works and how whenever you pursue, you can uncover what's on the inside of you. In Bangkok, Thailand, in the early 20th century, there was by the government the idea that they wanted to put a highway through a little small village. But the problem was that in that village, right through where they wanted to put the highway, right dead center, where they wanted to place it, there was a Buddhist chapel and a Buddhist statue, 11-foot Buddhist statue. When they came out and discovered they were there, they had two choices. They could abandon the idea or they could pursue by relocating the chapel and the statue. They decided to relocate the chapel and the statue, but when they were in the process of moving the statue, they brought in a crane, loaded it on a vehicle, and when they moved it to its spot and began to descend it back in a space where it could be stabilized, as they started to lower the statue, they noticed that the clay around the bottom of the statue began to fall off. And the more they moved the statue, the more clay began to fall. 
And as that clay began to fall, it caught the attention of not just the workers, but those who were standing around watching the workers do their job. What caught their attention was not just the statue, but what they discovered once the clay had fallen off. And that was that the foundation of the Buddhist statue was pure gold. And by discovering that, they then recognized that what once was then at that time a $50,000 statue became priceless to the point where today millions of people visit Bangkok, Thailand to see that statue which is 100% gold slash priceless. But don't miss the point in the story. Sometimes we think that because we are trying to uncover the potential that is in us and we run into an obstacle, we think that the obstacle is a detour away from discovering what the potentiality is in us. Watch this. Had it not been for the detour or for the obstacle of the Buddhist statue being in the middle of the village, they would have never discovered all the potential that was housed inside of the statue. All I'm trying to tell you is don't trip because it's a Buddhist statue and don't trip because it was a Buddhist temple. Celebrate the fact that God permits us sometimes to be in situations where we are met with obstacles and not until we are lifted to a point where what we have by way of clay begin to fall off and then we see the full potential of what's housed on the inside of us. But had it not been for the obstacle. We think because it's a hard time and it's an uphill battle and it's a fight trying to swim upstream that we are in a place of defeat. No, you're just in a place where God's trying to bring out the perseverance in you and trying to show you the strength on the inside of you and trying to help you see that on the inside of you is a whole lot of potential but it doesn't come out until we strip away some of the exterior. And that story, man, when I read that, caught my attention so much to the point that I realized power is housed in imagination and potentiality is certainly within us. Look at what happened. The workers they saw was not necessarily what reality was. They saw a clay statue, but in reality, it was a gold statue. Many of us are living like clay vessels when in reality we are pure gold on the inside. The seed of potentiality to build a highway, imagination, met an obstacle, a monastery, a Buddhist statue, discovered because the obstacle did one thing. It unveiled the intrinsic value of what was being housed in the statue. That's why obstacles can actually become our step in the right direction because it can reveal what's actually on the inside of us. And although in verses 1 through 5, chapter 3, the Shulamite woman suffered loneliness in her dream, that loneliness would not be the obstacle that would keep her from pursuing to make the dream a reality Instead, it became the motivation to launch her out, to risk it all, to grasp her love in reality. The most critical positive thing we can say about this woman is, at least she kept dreaming. Even though she hit an obstacle, Go back and read verse 3 and 4 of chapter, of chapter 3. She hit an obstacle. She went out looking and couldn't find him. She did not stop because she kept dreaming. The loneliness actually, actually helped her remove the clay and reveal the goal that caused her to pursue. 
And now that I've really told you that, here's the danger about revelation. When you hear revelation, once it's in the air, now you have the responsibility to respond. See, because what I just did was gave you a seed. Now the question is, are you going to water it? Are you going to nurture it? Are you going to see it come to pass? Secondly, every person is a leader in his or her own vision because that person is the only one who can imagine, nurture, and fulfill it. Nobody else can dream for you. You've got a dream for yourself. That's the reason why God gave us individual abilities to do and to dream. So what's your vision? What do you want to do? What's your heart's desire? Because there's another story that underscores the importance of being able to dream. But in dreaming, you got to see. So a little girl, there's a little story told of a little girl who's on a cruise ship with her father. And she's standing on her tiptoe trying to see, but she can't see because there are obstacles, people. There are things that just block her view. She does the one thing that she can only do. She says, Daddy, I can't see. And what does Daddy do? Daddy does what Daddy does. He reaches down. He lifts her up. He puts her on his shoulders. When the little girl gets on his shoulders and she begins to look out and she sees everything around her, noticing that she is larger and taller than everything that she currently could see, she looks back at her father and says, Daddy, watch this. I can see farther than my eyes can look. All because her daddy lifted her up and put him on her shoulders and elevated her to see further than what her eyes could see. I, I'm just trying to tell somebody, if you trust the God of your salvation, he will lift you up on his shoulders and elevate you to the point where you'll be able to see further than your natural eyes can see. That's why it's called vision. Because it's not about what you see now, although what you see now might be fact, it's not true because it hasn't become the reality of what the dream is. That's what dreaming is about. It's not yet, but yet it is going to become. It's not a reality. Come if you're willing to pursue what the dream is. And when that young girl said that, she gave us the clear definition of what vision is. It's the ability to see further than your physical eyes can look. To see not just what is, but also what can be and to make it a reality. So vision is that conception that is inspired by God in the human heart. And the greatest gift that God ever gave humanity, listen to me, is not sight, but vision. See, sight is a function of the eyes, but vision is a function of the heart. Do you not know you can have sight but have no vision? It's a mental picture. Here's what vision is. A mental picture of your destiny. But underneath that is the supported claim for us to remember that we can't live only by what we see. That's substantiated by Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. For faith is the substance of things I thought I had some Bible readers in this church. Faith is the substance of things, the evidence of things, the evidence of things, the evidence of things. So it has to become a reality. But it doesn't become a reality until first there's employed faith, the substance of that which is hoped for. And that's what she did. See in verse 1 through 5 was her hope was her aspiration that I'd find it. And in verse 6 through 11, there it is. It comes to pass. It becomes a reality. That's exactly what this Shunammite woman did. She wouldn't let her dream go until it became a reality. Here's my final story. Young man demonstrates this. He demonstrates how powerful it is for us 
to be able to operate in potentiality and to link it with vision. Here's a young man, 1965, a student in an economics class at Yale University. His idea, he writes about how we can move packages from one space to another in one day. He submits his paper to his professor and his professor gives it back to him, marked up in red and gave him a grade of a C. He looks at that paper, but what catches his eye is the comment that his professor made on his paper. I quote, do not dream of things that cannot happen. A brief interlude, interruption rather, caused his life to change because he had to go to the Vietnam War. But when he returned, all through his military service, when he got back home, he never let go of that paper that he got a C on and that he had his professor's comment that said, do not dream of things that cannot happen. Fast forward to 1971, when Frederick Smith decided that he would implement his dream. Although his professor told him not to dream about things that can't happen, if Frederick Smith had have yielded to his professor's obstacle, we would not know what we know today as FedEx, Federal Express. Because he was determined, even though his professor told him, don't you dream about what can't happen, and what he thought couldn't happen was we couldn't move a package in 24 hours from one location across the country to another location across the other side of the country. And yet, Frederick Smith says we can do it by way of airplane if we are able to employ aviation's help. He put the name Federal in there because he shared his dream with the Federal Reserve, but they denied his dream. Although he said they denied me, I kept the name Federal to remind them you should have supported me in my dream when I shared it with you. What that story tells us is there are going to be a lot of people who tell you do not dream about what cannot happen. Can you imagine those who told this Shunammite woman you dreaming about some man that's gone out of your life and never was a reality ain't no need you dream about him and she kept saying to herself yes it is and I'm going to see it come to pass and here it is right here beginning in verse 6 she sees it come to pass all because she took what they said and ran along with it. She saw her dream become a reality. And when you begin in verse 6, here's what she does. She helps us realize as she raises the issue, who is this coming out of the desert and it's Solomon coming in his chariot. But she helps us realize this principle. Here it is. God might delay the reality but God might not deny the reality delayed doesn't mean that I've been denied there's a reason why it probably was delayed and that's what we got to understand sometimes when we are trying to be in pursuit of where we believe the dream is going there are obstacles there are hurdles there are hills that we have to climb but there's a reason for that because God is trying to help us get rid of the access that we don't need because the hills that we have to go up we don't need extra weight because there's enough weight trying to curve the dream all by itself but he's trying to get out of us what we don't need and yet at the same time unveil what's on the inside of us that we might catch the full potentiality so here it is she sees it come to pass right here and beginning in verse 6 she does a metaphorical language remind us of how important it is that when your dream becomes a reality look at it verse 6 the first thing she says, you must make a public celebration. So look what she says. Who is this that's coming out of the desert like a column of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and incense and made from all the spices of the merchants? She's arguing with a very metaphor by simply saying, who is this coming out 
of a dark space that was dry in life, the desert, and yet he's coming up with pomp and circumstance. That's because Solomon is following through on the Eastern practice of how whenever you're going to marry someone, the groom, he would have an entourage that would escort him to the bride's home. And when he gets to the bride's home and captures her, he would take her wherever they're going to make their home at. But in doing so, it would be a wedding celebration that would last for a week or two. But it would be a celebration that would be publicly displayed. And I believe that Solomon is probably trying to help us understand that whenever God moves you along in progress in helping the dream become a reality, you ought to celebrate publicly, not in private, but let folk know those who simply told you stop dreaming about what can't become a reality, you should celebrate in public as Solomon and his bride did. Let everybody know what you thought could not happen. Here it is. And look at the text. They made public display of their celebration. Watch this. Let's shift in relation because I'm trying to figure out why, in particular, listen, sometimes religious people can be the worst to which you can sort of dialogue with to get any inspiration. Let me tell you why. Because they will damper your celebration, your spirit, if you aren't careful. I'm trying to figure out, Mary, why when we go out in the public, particularly if we're married, why we try to hide everything. Ain't nothing wrong with kissing your loved person in public or holding their hand or giving them a hug. Religious folk, that's reserved for the home. Leave that in your bedroom. The devil is a lie. I'm going to let everybody know who it is that I love and that I want them to know that I'm in love, what I have, and I'm all shook up at the same time. And if I want to kiss all of them, I'm going to kiss all of them, I'm going to hug her, I'm going to squeeze her. And Solomon said, that's mine. People who ain't saved, all over each other, all in public, and we just look at them, that's just so disgusting. Well, at least they enjoying their life, unlike religious folk who try to reserve everything so privately. Let folk know that you got somebody who makes you feel all excited like that. A public celebration. I see that's too deep. Let's lose the next point. The second point, verse 7 and 8. He gives us not only a public celebration in verse 6, but watch this. In verse 7 and 8, he gives a promise of protection. Look at verse 7 says, look, it's Solomon's carriage escorted by 60 warriors, the noblest of Israel, all of them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle, each with his sword at his side, prepared for the terrors of the night. Solomon says, when I go pick up my boo, I'm going to make sure she's protected in every manner. And if anybody got any idea of acting stupid, there's 60 guards around us that you're going to have to get through. He gives her two things that every woman wants, safety and security. He gives her safety by making sure that everywhere he moves, she is moving in a mobilized chariot that's protected by way of security by 60 armed, and look at the text, trained men. So here's what he might be suggesting to us men. You might want to, listen, if you got a car and only one door works, you might want to borrow someone else's car to take girlfriend out on a date. Or you got tape all up on one window, you might want to borrow. Because I'm just simply trying to tell you, I, I'm not sure if she wants to get into a car with the whole right side taped up with duct tape, Question is, what if you got to make a right turn? How do you see? Oh, it's what you call faith. What? That's not faith. Security. And Solomon made sure that his, the love of his life was secured and safe in his arms. 
God does that for us. We, Grandma and them told us, we call them angels all around us. He gives us safety and security. But watch this. In verse 9 and 10, he gives us a pledge of his commitment. And he does that by demonstrating what he brings to the table. Look at verse 9. Look at what it says closely. Solomon made for himself the carriage. He made it of wood from Lebanon. Its post he made of silver, its base of gold. Its seat was upholstered with purple. Its interior lovely inlaid by the daughters of Jerusalem. That just simply means he brought the best that he had to the table. Now, I said it this morning, let me say it to you again. I think, I think, I think the sister's going to give me an amen on this. Listen, if all that you have is a Ford, don't try to drive a Mercedes when all you can afford is a Ford. Girlfriends say, just come on to the table with the Ford and let's be happy until things change and we can get a Mercedes. Why? Because once again, she's looking for security and safety. And she wants to be able to sleep at night along with him to know that we don't have to worry about how we're going to pay for the Mercedes when all we can afford is a Ford. But she just wants to be happy. You got to remember, the Shulamite woman did not come with a silver spoon in her mouth. She came from the space of poverty. She came from the space of not knowing what it means to have some things in life. And yet now she's in a position where she's going to receive some of the grandeurs of life. And notice in the text, you hear nothing of her suggesting that this all means a lot to her. What she's really shooting for is Solomon's love. And you know what? Sometimes we try to tell people what to dream, not understanding that people can only dream what their heart loves in terms of doing what they desire to do. Sometimes I ask people who do certain jobs, how do you do this because it just doesn't feel, doesn't seem fulfilling and they remind me, you gotta have a heart for this. You, you just don't volunteer to do this. You gotta have a heart. You gotta wanna be with then the final thing it tells us in verse 11, he gets the approval of others. He brings to her not only the best chariot that he has laid in the most elaborate of presentation, gold, silver, purple in terms of interior, but in verse 11, he gets the approval of family and most his mother. Verse 11 says that he calls the daughters of Jerusalem to come out and look at King Solomon wearing the crown that his mother places on his head. There's an invitation to come out and see who I'm bringing home to be a part of my life. Now, it's one thing to get the approval of friends and you know there are some times when you will or you may not get that approval some people have legitimate concerns and others are just hating and the folks who are hating you might just want to reconsider how you allow them in that sacred space of yours because they are doing more detracting or withdrawal than they are depositing but there is something difficult about not being able to get family approval. Because family approval is important. It's sort of a stable, a stabilizing gesture that says, okay, I'm on the right road. And when they support you, you feel like you can go into it full force. And that's, that's what happened. Solomon, notice, Solomon could have brought her home and met who knows how many other women, how many other people of his cabinet, of his harem. He didn't. His mama, his mama. 
young ladies I know, you run the risk of daddy may not like who you're going to bring home, but you might want to go and bring him home. Young brothers, I know you, you all brothers want their, want their future wives to be like their mama. I don't know if you really want that, but that, that, that's, that seemed to be an option. But you at least want to bring her home and let mama do the perusing of what is there. Because I'm just here to tell you, they have x-ray eyes to see far beyond what we presently see. They see behavior traits, stuff that, that we just don't see. Because we have on love blinders. And that father just might take that distant approach and hang around in the background. You're not going to bring him home again, are you? I just want you to know, Dad, don't care much for him. And something ain't right about it. That mother, eh, baby, I know you're in love. I know how you feel. And mamas are good at this. Mama was like that with your daddy when we first got together. Mm-mm, but something ain't right about him, baby. Mm-mm. Or, mama ain't trying to tell you what to do. Mama ain't trying to tell you how to do your business. But there's something wrong with that girl, baby. Ma- mama can't put her finger on it. And the spiritual mothers who feel the Holy Spirit, but mama's spirit just don't agree with their sister. Spirit, it's just something in my spirit just telling me, Mm-mm, you're making a mistake. You might regret this, baby. I'm humorous, but it's true. Those of you that know, you know I'm telling the truth. That's how, that's how and Solomon said, I wanted mama's approval because I know mama has the wisdom to look beyond what I see in the exterior. What does that got to do with potential? Because I think Solomon is also trying to tell us it's wise to have wiser people in your corner who can help substantiate and anchor your dream so that it comes a reality. Because if it's a dream that involves a business world because they've been there before or been in business and been interacting with business people, they can see far beyond what you currently see. And that's why younger people think that when parents intervene, that we think we know everything. It's not that we think we know everything. We already know we don't know everything because we've made enough mistakes to let us know we don't know everything. But we're trying to help you not make the same mistake that we've made because some of our mistakes have long-term consequences. And we're trying to help you to understand you don't want to live through what we're living through. You don't even know the whole story. We're just trying to help you avoid some of the landmines and the train wrecks. Been there, done that, got the whole suit, not the t-shirt, the whole suit (laughs) to let you know you don't want to wear this suit like I've had to wear it. And then I'm not going to tell you, because I, I got to come to a close, we got to go home. I'm not going to tell you when God intervenes, when God shuts the program down, and we are angry, we are in a space where we are angry and disappointed. We prayed, we fasted, we tithed, we gave, we worshiped, we celebrated. We did everything we thought that God would want us to do to get the approval to move ahead. And God says, nah, not right now. Let's just wait a little while longer. This is the perfect time, God. This is the perfect time. I never will get this opportunity again. Warren Buffett wrote a statement one time that says, never trust people who say you'll never get this opportunity again. He argued that when you do that, it's a good chance that opportunity will come again and even better than what it was on that occasion. Because then you're jumping out, blinded in the risk. Now watch this. Ain't nothing wrong with taking the risk, but listen to Jesus. There was a man who wanted to build bigger barns to hold his possessions. 
but he failed to count the cost of the barns. Build only to realize I didn't build big enough. And now I got to build some more. There's nothing wrong with having a friend in your corner who can critique what you're trying to do. I didn't say you have to listen to everything they said. You might be wise to do so, but measure it. Particularly someone who has experienced wisdom. I was trying to tell you, it's been my experience that if you do X, Y, Z, this is what the outcome will be. Just know that in your mind when you make your decision. And when God interrupts, God does so to sort of remind us, I have something better if you just wait. Can I be the first to tell you, I hate it when God tells me to wait. I don't like it when he tells me to wait. A, I don't want to wait. B, I think I've been waiting long enough. And C, here it is. This might be the best opportunity that I have. Then there's D. Nevertheless, Lord, since you see far beyond what I can see, and you're the one that put the potential in me, I guess I'll go on and follow your direction. Did you catch what I said? I guess I'll go on and follow your direction. And don't try to act like you ain't never reluctantly followed the Lord even though you know you didn't want to go in that direction. But when you follow through and you get to the destiny, that old song comes back, I look back and wonder how I got over. No, I don't. I already know how I got there. It was grace that brought me safe thus far and grace that'll lead us when the dream becomes a reality don't stop dreaming know inside of you there is potentiality but God may have to strip off some of the clay to get to the gold and then thanks be to God that whenever you can't see God will lift you up and help you see farther than your eyes can see and then when someone tells you don't dream about anything that can't happen, you do like Frederick Smith. You hold on to the dream and keep believing that what you saw is actually going to come to pass. And years later, I often wonder, what did that professor think once he saw FedEx get off the ground? How he probably said to himself, what an awful statement I made to that young man, but... He didn't listen to me, so thanks be to God anyway. He didn't hear a thing that I said. And that's how you know you got vision. Because you can, you hear the noise, but you hear the voice. And the voice speaks through the noise. That's how you know you got divine interruption. To let you know, move out or stand still and see the salvation of dream becomes a reality. Lord, somebody in this house today, I believe it by faith, I claim it in my spirit, they're going to walk out of this place a changed man 